0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam Zonbetti. This week on the show, national political reporter for the
1: Associated Press, Juana Somers, and... NPR political editor, Domenico Montanaro. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend. Thank you to both of my guests for being here, Domenico Montanaro, my old friend, Mm, my old editor. That's right. The lead political editor at NPR Politics. We miss you, man. I miss y'all, too. Not enough to come back and cover poverty. (laughs) Yeah, I say it wistfully. Uh uh Also here with my friend Juana Summers, a national political reporter covering 2020 for the AP.
2: Thanks for having me back.
1: Of course. So I'm playing uh, in studio this weekend a song called Holy Holy by Aretha Franklin. Just listen. Listen to this voice. So this song is from her legendary gospel album, Amazing Grace. Uh, And I'm playing Aretha this week because she got a prize. She won a Pulitzer this week. Oh, yeah. She got a special citation for her, quote, indelible contribution to American music and culture... For more than five decades,
3: it's been a good couple of years for the Pulitzers. Uh, yeah, you know, in music. I mean, Kendrick Lamar won for "Damn" last oh, year. Oh, he
1: did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm also playing this song from this album because there's a documentary of the recording of this live gospel album uh, that's in theaters now, and I saw it this week. And it is spectacular. I've
2: heard about it, and yeah. I really want to see it.
1: You see the sweat on her brow. You see her her earrings jingle. Mm. And you just realize, like, no one's ever done it like her since. And it's a really interesting week to watch that movie, because I also watched another music documentary, <laughs> Beyoncé's Homecoming movie on Netflix, which is another piece of spectacular have you guys seen that one?
2: No. Oh yes
1: <laughs>
2: I, I would be in trouble if i hadn't yet even, even kamala harris is tweeting about this like i'd be behind
3: but i did notice that you said beyonce twitter is greater than muller twitter oh that's true every day obviously, obviously. obviously. every day obviously some of us have to get paid to uh watch muller twitter <laughs>
1: All right, we're going to start our week as we always do. I'm going to ask each of you to describe your week of news in only three words. Uh, Disclaimer, listeners, we're taping this on Friday morning. By the time you hear this, things will have surely changed. Sorry, not sorry. Domenico, with that, what are your three words? Normalizing Extraordinary Behavior. And oh, okay yeah, that was
3: three words that was in the lead of uh, Dan balls's column yesterday from The Washington Post, who's kind of the dean of political analysis around here. And he wrote that the Trump presidency has long been an exercise in normalizing extraordinary behavior, with President Trump repeatedly stretching the limits of what is considered appropriate conduct by the nation's chief executive. And this went on to outline essentially why the Mueller report was so damning for the president hmm. Because when you read that report, it's a whole lot
1: different than the way uh, the Attorney General William Barr wanted to frame it. That's the thing. So I want us to take a second just to kind of outline the big findings of this report. Can you give us like a one minute recap of like the big findings?
3: Sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, You know, the fact was that Russia interfered in the 2016 election, trying to Mm -hmm. help Trump and the campaign expected to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Now. There were numerous links, they said, between Russia and the Trump campaign, but the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign, quote, conspired or coordinated with the Russian government. So there
1: was contact made. Lots of contact. But the report basically says that contact wasn't nefarious enough to meet the criminal threshold for... For
3: conspiracy
1: conspiracy. or for uh, coordination. And I think that's a key difference and distinction. That's not saying they didn't do bad stuff. And so that's just kind of one part of this report. There's a whole second part that deals with how the president may have tried to, you know, interfere with the investigation into the campaign. And what I found the most interesting about that uh, was that this report says there were several times where he tried to interfere with the investigation, but he was thwarted because his own staffers wouldn't follow his wishes.
2: Absolutely. And that was my biggest takeaway from this report is that it really exposed a culture of dishonesty within this Mm. White House that was Mm. created and led largely by the president himself. He repeatedly, as we've now found, tried to fire people who worked with him who didn't carry out his wishes. But as you point out, he was probably safe in part because people who worked for him saw that this was getting into a not great place and they stopped him from following his own instincts. And I think that tells us a lot about what's going on inside this White House and that this is a president who has not only lied to the public, but also the people who work for him.
3: Yeah. I mean, the way this obstruction section was written mm-hmm. was really clever. I mean, obstruction mm-hmm. was a complete other matter altogether. Right. Um, it's pretty dispassionately written. And what investigators said first, it couldn't prosecute Trump because of Department of Justice guidelines where they said yeah. you can't indict a sitting president. So it kind of puts the investigators in a little bit of a bind. But the report also said went out of its way to say that if Trump, quote, clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state we are unable to reach that judgment. And then it went on to list 10 separate instances that there's evidence of obstruction of justice, essentially giving Congress a roadmap to then go down that path and hold them accountable.
1: And so you've written about what happens next, Domenico, and what Congress does with this. Um, I think Democrats don't want to give up on this but it seems as if there are some big questions now about the I-word. Right.
3: I mean, we talk about two different I-words, impeachment huh. and investigations. Okay. And I think that Democrats are hewing much more closely to investigations. Let's see what turns up under other rocks. Remember, this report also outlined the fact that there are a dozen other investigations <laughs> that have been launched. It's not just never con- going to end. Right. But not just by congressional Democrats. I'm talking about law enforcement. Yeah. The Things yeah. that financial crimes potentially that have been referred to other... U.S. attorneys around the country, other investigators, uh, and all of that potentially could turn something up. I think the big thing here for for Democrats is they Mm -hmm. don't want the political backlash and a repeat of the 1990s where Republicans had the shoe on the other foot when they did impeach Mm -hmm. President Clinton at the time, and then they wound up. Uh, really being hurt politically by that. And Democrats want to avoid that. And they've already made enough of a political argument to use this against Trump in 2020.
1: Mm -hmm. For both of you, what is your most standout thing from this 400 and however many page report?
2: I think for me, the big thing, and Domenico touched on this a little bit already, is the fact that this was positioned in, and the president was making this prebuttal, and what Barr said as to something that was completely exonerating of him. And it's very clear from reading this that this was not it's a complete not. exoneration. <laughs> that conclusion was not drawn. And mm-hmm. so I think the dissonance between how the attorney general talked about it, how the Trump campaign and Trump White House has positioned it, and what the report actually said is, I think, the most important and clear thing that came out for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I
3: agree with that. And I think that um, what we also learned is that Mueller is now much more likely to testify because Uh, Attorney mm -hmm. General William Barr, in Democrats' eyes, has been completely discredited. Hmm. They want to hear directly from Mueller himself what uh, Jerry Nadler, uh, the head of the House Judiciary Committee, who would shepherd impeachment proceedings, by the way, uh, has done. is He's formally requested that Mueller testify either on or before May 23rd. Uh, Barr Hmm. said he has no objection to that, so we'll see if we actually hear from Mueller, who has stayed silent for the last two years.
1: That guy. Well, what I hear you both saying (laughs) is more to come. Uh, On that note, Juana, I think you have three words.
2: I do. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is money. So my three (laughs) words are burn, baby, burn. And I want to talk about, we just ended the first quarter of fundraising for the presidential race. And I want to talk about- Can
1: you just pause real quick right there? It is spring of 2019, and we're already talking about fundraising numbers for 2020.
2: I'm oh so my sorry, God. guys. Pay attention, Sam. There's an election going on. <laughs> there is,
1: always. Anyway, as you were, Juana.
2: We are in the PERMA campaign. <laughs> yes, yes. So today, I want to talk about what the candidates are raising, but also a number that I think is more important, and that's what they're spending. And to do mm. that, I want to focus on two candidates, Elizabeth yes. Warren, the senator out of Massachusetts, yes. and South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's given Mayor us all Pete. a pronunciation lesson. Say it Did again. You say
1: Buttigieg? Is it Buda- Buttigieg? it Buttigieg.
2: Buttigieg. I I don't know. I'm going to follow the mayor's cue, and I'm going to go with Mayor Pete today so I don't get myself in trouble (laughs) with the Pete Twitter bots out there. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what I've got for you. I'm going to start with Elizabeth Warren. She raised $6 million in the first quarter of 2019, okay. and those reports became public on Monday. Mm-hmm. But the number that I think is even more interesting is that she spent $5.2 million. That is wow. more than any Democratic candidate in the 2020 field. And that yeah. tells us a lot about how she's running her organization, right? She's yeah. making a big bet early on that early investments in organizing in key primary states are going to pay off for her in 2020. Hmm. Now, by contrast, Mayor Pete... He's only been in the race for a hot second, it seems like. Mm -hmm. He raised $7 million, but what he spent just $700,000. So only 9% of that.
1: That is the most Mayor Pete thing ever. He would <laughs> save all his money.
2: He is. He's he's hoarding it. This looks more <laughs> like a report that you'd see out of a congressional candidate rather than a presidential candidate who is wow. one of the biggest online fundraisers. I, th- I think part
3: of that, though, is that I think he's kind of surprised at mm. what he's been able to do fundraising-wise. You know, he was somebody who was pretty largely unknown. And mm-hmm. then he did the mm-hmm. CNN town hall and all of a sudden he gained half a million Twitter followers. Wow. Money started coming in and he knew he had to run a lean campaign from the start. Elizabeth Warren, on the other hand, had been a huge progressive star for years, mm-hmm. and she expected to have a big campaign. But frankly, her money numbers are kind of underwhelming.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting about all these fundraising numbers, the top two fundraisers are Bernie Sanders for the Democrats and then Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. But their two figures combined for this last quarter basically just matches what Trump raised. He's outraising everybody, right?
2: That's true. And so here's my take on all of that. When you look at this, there is one candidate, not to discount Bill Weld, on the Republican side of the aisle. (laughs) There are probably by next week, we'll have, what, 19, 20 candidates on the Democratic side of the aisle. If you look at how many people are giving not just to one candidate, but to many and infusing their dollars across the map, I think it shows us that there is a lot of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And I think from talking to voters, Mm -hmm. many Democrats and and, and left-leaning voters are... Furious about mm-hmm. the direction the country is going in. They're concerned about the administration, and they've been looking for an outlet to tap that outrage in. We saw them do that in infusing record-breaking fundraising totals in 2018. And now that we're coming closer to 2020, they're they're signaling that discontent and their need to have an outlet with their dollars across the map.
1: I have three words uh, that are a bit less about politics. Thank God. Go for them, Sam. Uh, they are, save the churches. Oh, And I'm talking this week about Notre Dame on fire this week in Paris. It was such a surreal sight to see such an iconic piece of history uh, engulfed in flames. But I was most surprised by the overwhelming outpouring of support to bring back this cathedral right away. Uh, France's three richest families pledged more than $700 million. Uh, Altogether, donors have pledged already. This week, more than a billion dollars to rebuild wow. this church. It's astronomical.
2: I think for me, it was just really striking, and I—I I, I should say, I've never been to Paris or been to that cathedral, but just literally watching history set aflame before our eyes and watching it in real time was a really gripping moment. And I think for—I think the big lesson I got is that. We have to guard our history and we have to be mindful of our history because it, it won't always be there. And just have not having that iconic site for generations to come would be devastating.
1: Devastating. You know, that definitely was the first wave of coverage, this kind of outpouring of grief from the world, it seemed. But then about a day or two into this story... A lot of folks were saying, you know, there are other sacred sites that need rebuilding. Talking about ancient sites destroyed by the Islamic State in Syria, or even the string of black churches that have been set on fire here in the States. And there were these questions about what gets our attention and what gets our money. Hmm. There was a big push online for people who were concerned about Notre Dame to also give to a GoFundMe campaign for three historically black churches that had been burned in Louisiana within two weeks in the same parish. Um, As of this taping, that fundraiser, which had a $1.8 million goal, has raised a bit over $2 million. Uh, So there's going to be some preservation of this American history uh, as well and some rebuilding too, which is, I think, a very good thing. Um, It is also weird to see all this church news happen during Easter week. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. On that note, coming up, as our definitions of gender become more fluid... There's a big question to answer. Who is or isn't allowed on single-sex college campuses? That is after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from VSP Individual Vision Plans, offering coverage for a low monthly cost if you don't have vision coverage through an employer. You'll get access to the nation's largest network of independent doctors and hundreds of name-brand frames. Plus, you can save more than $200 a year. VSP believes you deserve to see better, for life, for less. Discover for yourself at NeedVSPCoverage.com. Support also comes from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com.
2: Summer movie season is here and Pop Culture Happy Hour has you covered. For a guide through the blockbusters you know about and the surprise bright spots you might not, we'll tell you what we are looking forward to, what we're secretly dreading, and what might sneak up on us. Listen now and subscribe.
1: Listeners, hello. Before we get back to the show, We all know that we rely on technology every day. We're on our phones, we're on our computer screens, we're using our smart speakers, etc. Uh, I want you all to tell me if there was ever a time when you felt like your tech habits got unhealthy. How did you realize that? How did you fix that? Uh, Share that story with us. Send me an email or record a voice memo of your story and send that to us at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. This is all for an upcoming episode that could include you. All right. Back to the show. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm your host, Sam Sanders, here with two guests, Domenico Montanaro, lead political editor at NPR. Thank you for being here. You're so welcome. This is a pleasure. And Juana Summers, national political reporter covering 2020 for the AP, who is with us on her day off. You're a trooper.
2: (laughs) Only (laughs) for you you guys. Always glad to be back.
1: (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So before we get to the next uh, news topic, I want to ask you all a question for both of you. Juana Domenico, do you like your dentist? Huh?
3: <laughs> you know what? I think my dentist does a good job, but I don't like what they charge. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I feel like uh, you don't always it's not like a painter. you know, if a painter comes to your house and is like, "Hey, yeah, you know, I could do all these rooms." You ask how much, they give you a pretty good idea. Dentists are like, well, we'll see what happens when we get in there.
2: <laughs> like, no, what? Give me a range. Wana? This is a very good reminder that I probably ought to go see my oh, dentist because uh, it's been like a year.
1: So. But Wana's on to something. You actually may be totally fine, Wana. There was a story in The Atlantic this week, and it basically reports that this idea that we all must go to the dentist twice a year that's probably made up. No. Uh, researchers and scholars have traced that back to a few sketchy sources, including a toothpaste advertisement from the 1930s. Now, most dentists say you only need to go probably once every 12 to 16 months. Oh. But they're still not publicizing this because they want your money. Yeah, my, they do.
2: My mother will be so glad to hear that. Because right? I'm sure she's going to be horrified that I just admitted that on air.
1: Dentists, do better. <laughs> Why is not there like a flat rate dentistry service?
3: I don't know, but I've muted the term
1: do better on Twitter, so I don't know if I can hear it. Uh uh (laughs) All right, enough of uh, dentists. Let's totally switch gears now and talk about school, not dentistry school, but college, Uh, and some news at a legendary historically black college that happened just recently. Morehouse College, the all-male school in Atlanta, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s alma mater, Morehouse announced this week that it will start formally accepting transgender men beginning in fall 2020. It's big news, uh, and I wanted to talk about what that means for Morehouse and what it says about trans rights on a larger scale across the country. So I sat down recently with Morehouse graduate and Out Magazine reporter Travel Anderson to discuss. Here's our chat. Hey there, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thanks for your time today, I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about this policy change at Morehouse. I saw it and it surprised me. What exactly is in it? So the policy basically says
4: that they're going to be accepting trans men. Okay. Um, The institution is still not accepting women um, or people who identify as women, regardless of their sex assigned at birth. Um, And it really kind of, I think, within the college community... Uh, For me, I froze when I heard the news, Um, but it it definitely, as I wrote in my piece for out dot com, it is a a historic move, but it definitely isn't perfect as written.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess speaking to it not being perfect, there's already some pushback because it does not include some trans people, Mm -hmm. people who transition. Two female during their time at Morehouse. Right under this policy, they technically aren't allowed to stay. Their eligible. Uh, I think the the policy says their eligibility
4: status changes. Right, they'll be That's forced to weird. withdraw. Um And wow. that's, that's drawing a lot of concern from people, in part because the policy, right, is different from, say, Spelman College, our sister college across the school. Mm-hmm. Um, Which they, is just for women. Do, that's just for women. Um, they updated their policy a couple years ago, um, and their policy states that if you are a woman who comes into their manhood mm-hmm. while a student, right, mm-hmm. that you will be allowed to finish your education okay. at the institution. Okay. Morehouse's policy says that you are basically forced to withdraw yeah. um, and find other educational opportunities. Opportunities. That's something, and
1: I could totally see Morehouse saying down the road maybe they should change that.
4: I would hope they say that sooner rather than later um, yeah. in part just because you know as a student you're already dealing with a lot and then if you are coming into your identity in any particular way you don't want to have to worry about it, have to have to now find another school yeah. to finish out your education. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think gender is just one of those things that's so fluid and it comes and bites you in your butt when it wants to <laughs> um, and so you can't control when it happens.
1: Yeah. Well there's also this bigger... Existential question about what it means to have an all male college like Morehouse mm-hmm. or an all women's college like Spellman. You know, as our understanding of gender changes, these schools maybe can't exist as they did before.
4: I think it's a situation where we have to get comfortable allowing the legacy to be more expansive than mm. it has been mm. um, I often say that you know people are often surprise when they see me and I say that I went to Morehouse because I'm gender nonconforming mm. and everyone's also always like how did that work <laughs> Like, how was your time there? Um, And while I wasn't as gender nonconforming as I am now, Mm -hmm. while I was there, um, Morehouse has a rich history of queer and trans Hmm. students and graduates, Hmm. right? Now, you don't see those people in the brochures. Uh. They don't talk about those people at convocation, right? Uh. And so I hope that this will begin a process of bringing some of those people and some of those voices
1: back into the yeah. conversation of what it looks like to be a Morehouse graduate Yeah. so it's really not even saying y'all can come in now it's also saying we're gonna publicly speak to the fact that y'all were always here I hope so mm. I mean I think I think
4: what we know is that the institution they often talk about the brotherhood yeah right they often talk about Morehouse men man yeah. of Morehouse um, that language th- may have to change I think it's great. It would be great if the school started saying Morehouse graduates, right, as opposed to Morehouse Mm men. Mm -hmm. But It's going to be hard to shake that. Listen, okay, (laughs) 1867 is when the institution was founded, okay? So you were shaking a lot to get to that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you think, compared to the average college across the country, that Morehouse is more or less generally accepting of the LGBTQ community? And why? I think
4: that there is a culture on our campus specifically but also on campuses across the country that are HBCUs and otherwise um that they allow students who are gay or queer identified to like you can be gay, but don't talk about it. But you right, don't talk oh, about yeah. it. Or you can be gay, but not too gay. It's like right? the, It's like the black church. Very much. The like choir The choir director church, is gay, right? but it's no one's going to talk say, about it. Exactly, and it's important to say that Morehouse is a, we call it historically Baptist, um, <laughs> and so like there is a lot of kind of religious undertones uh. seeped into every uh. single part of the institution, right? Uh. Um, and so that's the background that we're dealing with, yeah. um, and we are an institution known for raising. Teachers, raising teachers, yeah, right. Martin Luther King Jr. is our most famous graduate, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, I don't know if I would say Morehouse is it makes it more difficult for um, LGBTQ folks, but I know that there's a difficulty there.
1: So this comes. As across the country, there are you know a lot of anti-trans measures. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Trump White House's trans ban in the military take effect. Right, we're seeing states across the country enact anti-trans laws. Um, what do we think all of this is saying about wider attitudes about trans acceptance?
4: You know, it's interesting because I think while we have kind of this political landscape in which um, trans lives are trying to be erased and ignored and all this other stuff um, in Hollywood, in the media, right? Trans people are experiencing unprecedented yeah. visibility, yeah. right? And so it's this really interesting paradox. Hmm. I think theoretically we believe that this media visibility that trans folks are having will help change hearts and minds, right, across the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we say that because that's what happened with gay people, yeah. right? Will and Grace and all oh, of yeah. that. And so, I mean, I think I hope in that we will get to a point where the media representations that we see of trans folks spills over into our everyday lives mm. and people start to respect and uplift mm-hmm. and allow trans people just to exist. Yeah. But again, a lot of people still don't know a trans person. Yeah. Um yeah. and that's not to mean that's not to say that they haven't met a trans person. they just don't know that they've met uh, a trans person, yeah, right yeah, yeah, um, and so hopefully we get to a point where more trans people feel comfortable coming out and mm. identifying as trans, mm-hmm. and I think that will lead to um kind of the promised land that we might all be working towards
1: yeah. well. I am going to be watching very closely. You and me both. Yeah. And (laughs) I also have to say, congratulations to Morehouse. I'm sure you watched Beyonce's new Netflix film. Of course I did. There's a scene where she's with the kids and she's wearing a Morehouse
4: shirt. Yes. I saw. I was screaming the entire time because I go up (laughs) for HBCUs. I love them. They're necessary. Yeah. Um, And it's so great to see Beyonce kind of give us this little platform.
1: Hey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Many thanks to Travel Anderson from Out Magazine for that conversation. All right, Juana, Domenico, I want to talk to you about that conversation, but I also want to just take a second to acknowledge Beyonce's performance in that Netflix movie once again. I was wondering if you were going to just acknowledge the drums. Aren't they great? Yeah. And she had had a whole marching band for this thing at Coachella. It's amazing, but I digress. Um, It is a weird time to think about Trans rights in America because, on the one hand, this community is more visible than ever, but on the other hand, they're still facing a lot of restrictions legally across the country.
2: Absolutely. I think one of the things that's been most instructive to me like, I didn't go to an HBCU, but I've spent a lot of time on HBCU campuses, and I went to an all girls Catholic high school Mm. in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Is having a person who I went to elementary school with who also attended an all girls Catholic high school. Come out as trans to me recently, uh, and it's been hmm. really instructive for me watching this person just like live their life and be who they are and talk about what that intervening space of time like for them for me personally was really um, was really educating and beneficial. But I do realize the burden that comes along with that because that person is also probably also put in a lot of situations where he has to explain himself in a way that other people just out there living their life doing their day to day don't have to, and that's. And in a lot of ways, that's unfair that they that they have to do that. Yeah.
3: I mean, that's really interesting because I also went to an all boys high school huh. um, and it's since gone co-ed. Uh, oh, and really? I know that they had all these arguments about how good a single sex education can be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I think when you have a school like Morehouse, which is an all-male but secular HBCU, how they figure out what the expectations are for all of the students and for all of those parents, I think it's a difficult line for, uh, for all of them to walk.
1: Oh, yeah. I will be watching closely. I find the whole story fascinating. Uh, All right. It's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR,
0: BRB. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact.
3: We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about
1: how they can better prevent cancer.
0: To learn more, go to cancer.org. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on.
1: Before we get back to the show, I want to let you know that I'm going to be in Des Moines. And if you're around, I want you to come hang out with me, okay? Uh, I'm doing a live show in Des Moines, Iowa, on May 9th. Y'all know I love Iowa. I'll be there recording our weekly wrap on a Thursday evening, May 9th. Tickets are on sale right now at iowapublicradio.org. iowapublicradio.org. Get them all you can. Truthfully, I'm going to wear a suit for this thing. It's going to be real nice, okay? Hope to see you there.
2: Hi, Ophira Eisenberg here, host of NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia, Ask Me Another. This month we're celebrating women in comedy, and this week we're joined by Retta. You may know her from her role on NBC's Parks and Recreation or her new series Good Girls. Listen and subscribe now.
1: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests this week. Iwana Summers, she covers national politics for the AP, uh, specifically 2020. And Domenico Montanaro, lead political editor for NPR. Thank you for being here. You're so welcome.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: It's time to play my favorite game. Who said that?
2: Ooh, hey. 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 Hey.
1: Uh, you both know how this works. Uh, I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or at least get the story I'm talking about or at least get a keyword. Uh, the one who gets bragging rights and nothing else. Nothing? I'm like an Xbox? You got big dreams. I'm the last something. gift I gave you is still in the box, Domenico.
3: <laughs> should we tell people what it was? Like a 70-foot giant pink
1: flamingo? Yeah, for yeah. your pool. I, so.
2: I want the pink flamingo. <laughs> uh,
1: let's get into it. Ready for the first quote? All right. Right here. All right. Quote, the burger is then finished with slabs of bacon imported from Essos, a Dothraki delicacy. What?
2: So Who Doth- said that? Dothrakis Dothra- are from Game of Thrones. Yes. Oh. This
1: is about a burger. Just start guessing burger joints. You're already close oh. enough, though. Carl's Jr. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Red Who Robin. Has upper scale. High scale. Uh, upper scale burger chain. Uh, Shake Shack. Yes! Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I helped you out. So, uh, Shake Shack announced a Game of Thrones-themed burger and a Game of Thrones-themed shake this week. Uh,
2: I'm the target audience for this. How did I not hear this? All I spend my time about is is Game of Thrones.
1: (laughs) I know. There's also... uh, Is a Shake
3: Shack a few blocks away? I'm, I'm away home.
1: All right. I'll tell you what else they have. They have a Dracarys burger. It's a double Monterey Jack cheeseburger topped with bacon, and fiery Dracaris sauce, and a Dragon Glass milkshake, minted white chocolate custard topped with shards of Dragon Glass.
2: Why would you want to drink Dragon Glass? These people are clearly not fans. I take offense. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Domenico, you got the first point. Uh, next quote. I you did. Ready? I
2: thought that was kind of. Uh, I, uh, I help sometimes.
1: but I think we all kind yeah, of helped okay. each other out right. there. Well... We a point for everyone. Everyone gets a point. That's not how this game is. Played. is are, are, we, are
2: you Oprah now? <laughs> yes.
1: Everybody gets a point. I'm on my Xbox. Uh-huh. All right, next quote. This is not a living brain, but it is a cellularly active brain. What am I talking about? Is this something about robots? It's about a brain story that was really creepy involving animals this week. Oh. Y'all saw this story. No.
2: I'm not sure that we did. <laughs> Does it have
1: to oink, do with oink. the Mueller
3: report? No. Pigs? No. Yes, pigs. Oh, pigs I mean, that was oink. a give oh, Was this the one where people... I saw some people saying that, like, you know, why are we even talking about this? They should just be bacon. Which sort of transitions from
1: our last thing.
3: <laughs> yeah. But you
1: know the story I'm talking about? I Well, uh, sort of. This week, uh, scientists removed brains from pigs' heads and placed the isolated brains in an experimental chamber... And they hooked up these dead brains to like blood vessels in some device that had a chemical cocktail, and they said wow. that in these dead brains, some molecular and cellular functions were restored. That sounds awesome. I mean, does think, it? I, no, I think it, does. it sounds awful. It's gonna.
3: That's gonna. Ha- I mean, we're gonna live to like two hundred.
2: Do you? want I don't want to wanna do that.
1: Yeah, I do. Oh, I, I don't want to die. It's got real it's meta. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who got that point? I forget. Uh, you. I think you got that point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One more quote, and this will this determine the winner? Well, we'll try to do better. We'll see. We're yeah, sorry. Try. We're failing. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Y'all, y'all were in Muller land this week. It's yeah. fine. All right. Last quote. To me, it was the greatest comeback I've ever seen. Who uh, said
2: that? Is this about Tiger?
1: It is about oh, Tiger. It's Tiger. This is Michael Jordan talking about Michael Tiger's Jordan. Masters win. Ti- so Michael Jordan was at the Masters to watch Tiger. Um, and he says that Tiger Woods' win at the Masters was the most brilliant comeback ever. He's on
3: track too to uh, now kind of go back for the potential record to win the most major tournaments. Uh, hmm. Jack Nicklaus holds that title, and hmm. no one thought Tiger. Everyone thought early on in Tiger's career he'd be able to surpass that pretty quickly, but now he's only a few behind him. Um, and you have people talking about whether or not he could eclipse it if he keeps up this pace. He has had a lot of injuries, and if he's healthy. You know, he could easily pass that
1: record. I'll be watching. No, you wouldn't. I, I mean I'll be watching the coverage of the yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I will not watch the actual <laughs> golf tournaments. You know me well as a I'm Imagining
3: Sam sitting in a <laughs> recliner and watching golf. Like
1: uh, I feel like I could watch No, I just couldn't do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you tried. All right. Um who, who I don't I wasn't really keeping track. Who won?
2: Wana I did get it. Tiger she got
3: Tiger For real got it So, so we're it's... gonna give it to Juana Wana, you Wana gets the Xbox
2: I'm Thank getting you t-
1: Sam I keep looking for the Xbox I don't know where it is <laughs>
2: I'll give Domenico my Xbox And I'll take Domenico's Flamingo How about Oh yeah
1: that? There you go There we go Everybody wins Everybody, <laughs> Everybody wins, wins. Alright congratulations Juana That concludes Who Said That Alright now it's time to end the show As we do every week We ask our listeners to share with us The best things that happen to them All week we encourage folks to brag Let's take a listen
0: Hi, Sam. My name is Kelly from Boston, Massachusetts, and the best thing that happened to me all week is I finished the Boston Marathon. Hope you have a great week. Thanks.
2: Hi, Sam. This is Liz Elliott from Everett, Washington. The best part of my week is that I got to meet my sister from Kansas in San Antonio. I just accepted an offer to teach middle school English at a great little school in Hanford, California.
3: We finally have a five-generation picture up in the living room.
2: Hey Sam, this is Jodie Ann, I'm 33 years old, and the best thing that happened to me this week is that I celebrated 365 days cancer-free. Hi Sam, this is Naomi from Austin, Texas, and the best part of my week is celebrating my niece's birthday. How old are you today, Ava?
4: Hey Sam, this is Emmanuel from Boston, currently in Virginia Beach with my entire family. And the best part of my week was climbing Mount Mitchell with my mom, dad, brother, two nieces, and my new pup, Barney. Hey Sam, this is Kyle, originally from San Antonio.
2: And this is Olivia. About a year ago, you helped Kyle propose to me through this podcast.
4: And the best thing that happened to us this week was we got married. Thanks, Sam.
1: Appreciate you, appreciate your show, and keep up the good work.
2: Thanks, Sam. Thanks so much.
1: I hope you have a great week. Bye. I remember them getting engaged. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Congratulations, Kyle and Olivia. Congrats to all the voices you heard there. Uh, Kelly, Liz, Lisa, Tammy, Jody, Ann, Naomi, and Ava, Emmanuel, and again, Kyle and Olivia. This was a really good one. And it's always just nice to know that, like, in spite of, like, Mueller time and investigations and whatever, life goes on. Speaking of life going on, I want to tell you both about the best part of my week. Uh, My brother and his girlfriend had his fourth child this week. Wow.
2: Congratulations.
1: Yeah. His name is Alexander Raymond Sanders. He uh, is right here. Look, I'm showing you a photo. Can you see it? It's glinty. A
2: little glinty. Oh, there There you go. There he is.
1: I'm actually going home in a few days to hang out with that kiddo for a while. Um, So to Jen and to my brother... Congrats to you both. I love you both. And I love the new one, too. All right. We're going to go out on Aretha Franklin, who also had a great week. She won a Pulitzer Prize uh, playing her song Holy Holy from her gospel album, Amazing Grace. Uh, There's a documentary about that album. In theaters now. Uh, Thanks to my guests, Domenico Montanaro, lead political editor for NPR, and Juana Summers covering national politics for the AP with a focus on 2020. I'm so glad we hung out. Yeah, thanks, Sam.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Of course, of course. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson, our director of programming, was our editor this week. Uh, our other editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. Our big boss is NPR's Senior VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Uh, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Yeah, yeah
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated.